listening to the Ed Reach Network. I have a message before we start this week's show. There is a discussion of the rules of golf and what is transpiring in this year's Masters Golf Tournament. All discussion of what is happening to Tiger Woods happened as events were unfolding this morning. More information has been released since this recording, so please remember this as you listen. Yes, we connect the rules of golf to games and learning in the classroom. We know you are thoroughly impressed. Enjoy. Ed Gamer, episode 95 on EdReach. Games as assessments? Question mark. This is Ed Gamer for Saturday, April 13th, 2013. Ed Gamer's part of the EdReach network, edreach.us, giving education a voice. A big voice. This show is dedicated to education gaming on any platform. We will give you the education angle on any type of games, ranging from tabletops to MMOs. We will discuss how these games impact student learning and how they can be used effectively, hopefully, within the classroom. I'm Zach. And my name is Felipe. Jerry? Yes. <laughs> Who are you? My name is Jerry James, and I am a super visual arts teacher in Schaumburg, Illinois. Yes, definitely super. Mm-hmm. My name is Zach Gilbert, and I'm your host. I'm a sixth grade social studies language arts teacher from normal Illinois. What are you laughing about, Jerry? No, don't worry about it. I'll tell you when you're older. Okay. I'm not old enough? Nope. Okay. So... It's been a while it has. since we've we've talked, and, and I think, uh, let's see, we had Jamie Brooker from Kahoot. Kahoot? Yep, Kahoot, uh, a couple weeks ago, and that has gone over very well. I've been using that a few times. I have my student teacher, Jamie, hooked my student teacher up with a, you know, I guess, uh, an account. Awesome. And she's already created something for next week, and the kids love the game, love it, love it, love it. And um, it's it's going to be a lot of fun, and I know they're making changes and adding new things in, and it's it's going to be a great little um, online app program to use in the classroom. So check it out, Kahoot. Kahoot. Dot it. Yeah. So check that out. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. So we haven't. And then last week we had a delay uh, in posting because I was interviewed on Minecraft Mind Chat. Mm-hmm. From Colin and Rob, and they're out of, of uh, Singapore. Is that right? No. Is that right? Singapore. Oh, goodness gracious. They're over in the, you know, in Asia. Good. Now that we've narrowed it down to the side of the earth. Well, you can't even tell that where I'm at is in the central part of Illinois, so. Yeah. I just had a little really brain gas there. Compared I, to... I'm almost positive that it is. I can Singapore. identify the side of the globe you're on. Well, that's always handy. Yeah. Singapore. When's the last time you saw a globe? I have one in my classroom. It, it, they're in they're in Singapore. Globes are in Singapore. They, they, I'm sure they have some globes there. Hmm. No, they're they're in Singapore and phenomenal uh, educators and it was a lot of fun. The interview we did it within Minecraft and we did it within a um, Game of Thrones recreation awesome. world. It was very cool. Very cool. So we had a lot of fun there, and so we haven't talked to each other for, you know, a couple weeks, which I'm sure you're quite glad about. It's been a few weeks. I would say it's a few nice weeks, but it's been pretty pretty (laughs) hectic, actually. Thanks, Jerry. No problem. Yeah, so anything exciting? Um, You know, just kind of all over the place. We had uh, our very first 
live active shooter drill you know, in, oh, during happy. an institute day, something I didn't think I would have to do when I signed up for teaching. But, you know, it's yeah. interesting. We compared it to the old bomb raid videos, you know, where you used to crawl under a desk. Like, Did you do that? No, I never did that. Uh, yeah, because you're young. And I am. I had to do I'm that. much younger. Even with my birthday, I'm still far younger than you. Right. Um, but, uh, no, uh, you had to do that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we – I remember vividly that one of my friends, Mark – and I can't remember if we told this to the teacher or we told just kind of discussed it because, you know, we were geeky at that time, <laughs> upper elementary school. We lived in the capital city of Illinois, Springfield. Uh-huh. If you didn't know, it's not Chicago, no, really? uh, which is in the central part of the state, not in southern Illinois. We lived in Springfield. Uh, we were near downtown. It's state capital. There's a state capital building. The government building's there. We had an Air National Guard. We have an – there's an Air National Guard base there. We're like – the Soviet Union – which is, you know, the cold. Do, you, do I have to explain this to you, Jerry? Okay, just let it. Soviet Union, we were in a cold war, and we were fearful of a nuclear war between the Soviet Union and the United States. And we thought, hey, what's that? Was it cold because it was in the winter? No. No, Jerry. I, this is another topic for another time. But the whole thing was, upper elementary, we figured out that us getting underneath desks when a nuclear explosion would probably happen right over us, probably would not protect us. Why, because that's so, the same procedure as extreme weather? <laughs> extreme yeah. weather and nuclear fallout are the same yes. procedure in the school. You know, you know you've know, you either got really bad weather or poor nuclear right. planning. So we knew that we'd be vaporized within a matter of seconds, and we're like, why are we getting under desks? <laughs> So that was one of those crazy things. We actually have a high school, and there's a high school in Springfield, Springfield Southeast, that was built in the 60s, and it had in mind that I think windows have been added, but it was a nuclear fallout shelter. Interesting. There's really no, no, every classroom in the building, did it didn't have any windows. Wow. So, and it was kind of built. It's a good place to uh, Oh, yeah. So we always used to tease and say that, you know, there was moss growing in the, you know, the corners. Uh, because there was no sunlight coming in, but you'd have the building built, and there was like mounds of dirt. It looked like it was built into, uh, just dropped into a hill. That's wild. Yeah, so it was just one of those things that uh, that was the time, the time period. So where was this conversation going? Oh, you had your shooter yes, drill. Yeah, so we had that, which is which, scary. Yeah, it was was what it was, and then a few family events, unfortunately, a funeral, so it added to the week. So it's been a busy You've week. Had You've had more stuff, you know, it's of that been, type it's happen. It's been a rough year. We've been very fortunate up to this point. Um, yeah, I, I'm sorry. Well, that's fine, but um, it's just kind of crazy. Yep, wild times. So my game yep. club has been on hold for a week, and uh, yeah. And when we're talking about a shooting drill, we're not talking about uh, you know being a Call of Duty and practicing your marksmanship. We're talking actual shooter drill, which is kind of scary. Yeah, it's very odd they come in with blanks. Loaded in the weapons and very loud. Do they? Yeah, very loud. Do they use them? Yeah, yep. Yeah, they fire weapons. Now hold it. Are the kids there? No. Oh it's God. Okay. So I'm like, woo. No, but they had to warn the whole, you know, block so that people weren't. Yeah, weren't freaking out. Yeah. So, very interesting. Wow. Very interesting. Just I'm pausing for a moment just to soak that in. That's kind of crazy. Yeah, it's sad. Uh, yep. 
It is okay. So let's uh, since so, so you mentioned game clubs, uh, we didn't meet this week, but we're gonna we we are going to meet next week, and kind of it's that'll be our final prep before our May fourth family tabletop game day. So you know what May fourth is about? It's Star Wars Day. Yes, May the fourth be with you, and also with you, and also with you. And so we will. I I don't know how many people are going to show up. I have no idea. I have some friends coming. Visiting Justin and Mark, hopefully we'll be coming up and visiting and joining us for some games. I have another friend that's bringing a very cool game called Circus Maximus, and I don't know if I've mentioned that one before. It's a simulation of of a you know chariot race during Roman times. Oh, I thought you get to like learn to be a clown or like no, a lion tamer. Not that type, no. no Circus. No. Huge, huge board, and you have your chariots and you try to make it to the finish line cool. in one piece. So that's that's there's that, and then we have some other games coming in. We'll see, we'll see how it goes. Like I said, I've got some families already interested. Even if we had like 30 people, great, whatever. You know, that would be a lot of fun. I'm kind of fearful because I'm afraid that it's actually, it's going to be more than that. And part of me wants to have it semi-small because then I might actually get to play some games. Part of me is like, no, I want to have people to come in and enjoy themselves and and have some fun. Just so we'll, cookies. Everybody loves cookies. Yeah, well, I'm actually we're gonna be able to order lunch. So, yeah. uh, you know, Avani's, don't you? Uh, no. You don't. Hold it. You both went. You and your wife went to school up north, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. So anybody that's listening that went to Illinois State uh, University knows Avani's, and that's we're just ordering some Avani's lunch. So next next time you're down, you'll have to have some Avani's. Is it good? Yeah, it's good. How do you it's, spell it? It's cheap. A V A. I was N- thinking why T- I-S. Yeah. Okay. It's good stuff. It's it's especially pizza. It's more expensive now than because of of course inflation, you know, that silly thing called inflation. But it was really cheap food and college students just you know eat that up totally. We had Burritoville. Yay. Mm-hmm. Does that would bring other things too. Burritoville and Tom and Jerry's. Tom and Jerry's Tom was a gyro place. It's delicious. Oh, I love gyros. Oh boy. Not gyros, not gyros. No. Gyro. Gyro. Somebody will probably still correct yep. me. Okay, speaking Flag. of. of... <laughs> Thanks. There you go, Nilo. That's your, <laughs> that's your shout out. <laughs> shout out for the day. Uh, let's see. Tiger Woods. Now you're like, you know, Tiger Woods. We're going to talk about Tiger Woods being penalized two strokes. So I woke up this morning. Knowing the fact that Tiger Woods, on hole number 15, hit hit his uh, laid up, hit his tee shot, laid up, hit a uh, I don't know he's probably I don't know how far he's out he was a wedge out, hit the flag, and it backed up and went into the water. And the rules of golf are cu- quite complex, huge rule book. And I as I was telling Jerry before, which he didn't know, but put the ball in the hole. Right. Yeah. Just simmer down. So, you know, I played golf in high school, junior tournaments um, and and such and coached for, what, 11 years, 10, 11 years at high school. Uh, And the rules are are very complex, very complex. And he had approximately, I think, about three choices to, you know, uh, where he could place the ball after he went into the water. And, And here's a guy that's been playing golf since he was he was on Johnny Carson. Play where it lies. Yeah, in the water. Yep. There you go. 
Yeah, so he played it, without going on all the details, he played it in an incorrect position. Simmer down. And he, he makes him a like wonderful shot. On one leg. Just stop it. He hits it on the green, puts it in, gets his bogey, and was pretty happy with that and moves on, signs his card at the end, which you know makes it official. And the rule... Um, he basically placed it in the wrong spot, played it outside his card. In the past, he would have been disqualified. Mm. Last year, there was a rule made because in the time of television, people call in constantly to the United States Golf Association, watching tournaments saying, hey, I think this guy did this, and that's against the rules because HDTVs, you can zoom in on things, cameras are all over the place. And sometimes players don't even see uh, there was one instance where Padraig Harrington, um, he either hit a shot or putted or something. Padraig, yeah. Padraig Harrington, that's a great name. Isn't that great? So he placed his club behind the ball. The ball moved, and he went back and hit it. Well, that's a penalty because you're not supposed to – the ball's not supposed to move. Once you place your club behind the uh, ball, it sh- – you, it can't move. If it moves and you hit it, then there's a penalty. So he did that. Golf book. Yes, it is. And there's there's the rules book, and then there's a decisions book. So crazy like stuff. So I'm, I'm making a connection here to games in the classroom. Just bear with me here. Um, so bearing. you have oh, just Jerry, just work with me here. So he finished up. He signs his card. Finds out later that he should have assessed himself a penalty. The problem was he didn't even notice that the ball moved. The cameras were zoomed in so far that, you know, the ball the ball did move. He hit it, but he didn't even know he did it. So, but he was disqualified. He was, he was kicked out of the tournament because he did not uh, play the ball in the right position, did not assess, you know, the whole, went through the whole thing. So they made a rule, was it last year, saying that if there's a penalty – and you play the ball in the wrong position, and you finish out your round, you sign your scorecard, normally you'd be disqualified. Now they're saying that if you do it without intention of understanding of whether the rule or not even knowing that you did something, then you would not be disqualified. You'd just be assessed a two-stroke penalty. Mm. Now, they've there's two th- points I want to make here. That, you know, we've always talked about failure, is not a bad thing in games, right? Okay. Golf is, in some instances, it is. some of the rules seem so crazy. They have good intentions, but they don't, you know, but it's sometimes the rulings are so severe, and you're just like, what in the world? This seems totally unfair. They have, in a, in a game, you know, Rules can be changed and adjusted by the players and people saying, you know, you're playing, um, um, you know, civilization. There's people constantly saying, hey, when you when you do this, this and this, the game doesn't there's a flaw in the game. So we need to change how the artificial intelligence, the AI works or we need to change the rules on here because it's making something unfair. That happens pretty quickly in games. Board games, too, because you constantly see rules adjustments, people playing different types of of rule sets that happens pretty, you know, consistently within, you know, board games or video games Mm -hmm. In golf. It does not. Hmm. Um, it's very slow. It's very slow and changing 
you know, there's constant changes, but to have a rule like this change to help the players, um, that doesn't happen too often. So they've made adjustments, which is good. It's almost like crowd, uh, was it crowdsourcing? Hmm. You know, where pe- because because of television, people are watching more. They're seeing these rules problems. It's almost being it's almost to the point where the spectators are crowdsourcing and helping with the rules. Sure. So they've made some adjustments, but having a failure so bad where you're out of the competition because of a silly mistake, you could say, oh, you learn from it. You need to move on and, and go again. But sometimes it just goes too far. And in this case, it's helped out the players. Now, if you ask most players today, take Tiger Woods out of the equation because I used to be a fan. I won't go into my opinions and, and such. I'm a huge Jack Nicholas fan, grew up loving Jack Nicholas. Um, but Tiger, I used to like. Now I don't, which you can guess why. Um, take Jack Nicholas out of the equation and put any golfer in that situation. Most golfers will say this is a good rule because it was unintentional. It was it wasn't done to um, really cheat in, in in effect, and they will like that. So failure, some of the failures are huge within sports. That happens in games, but you can quickly go back and 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 play again. Golf is especially in a major is such a huge event. You need to diminish that that failure, and I think they've done that. So that's that's been a positive. Interesting. So yeah, it's so I look at games and how we educate, and yes, we have rules, but we don't want to make those failures so severe that they get turned off. To it, or that they're so severe that you know, especially in Tiger Woods' case, he misses out on a chance to, you know, win a major. Now, two-stroke penalty. He was only three. He was only three shots behind. Now he's five shots behind. That's huge, big time. But I bet I'm hoping. I haven't seen any interviews this morning with him. I'm guessing he's probably thinking because he knows he messed up on the rule. That, you know, he's probably thankful. He's like, I could be disqualified. I made a mistake, and. I'm thankful that I'm still playing in the tournament, and I'll do the best that I can to move on from that. That's what I'm hoping he says. Whether he says that or not, I have <laughs> no idea. But it may also makes you wonder, too, with the way games are set up, rules are automatically enforced, right? They're automatically there. True. You're baseball, are you a baseball fan? Yes. So technology could help out with baseball, don't you think? Could help out with football? Yeah, are you talking about review? Review. Uh, putting a chip inside a, you know, they have the tennis courts, you know, with uh, in and out. Mm-hmm. You know, they have the technology to watch that. Why can't they make something, the material of a football, to see how far the football went? Oh, definitely can be done. One of my... You know, what, using technology to instantly make those decisions so it's so it's accurate. One of my uh, long-time pet peeves, the uh, <laughs> my, most of my friends know, the... Uh, the precise measurement with the chains when the chains oh, come God. out and measure a quarter yeah. of an inch right. you've just made a precise measurement on an imprecise measurement right which is where yeah. someone spots the ball <laughs> and someone someone might say that's that's fine you know that's that's part of human nature that's yeah. that's all good you know when we assess our students you know we have <laughs> there's a lot of impre- there's not a lot of precision and we i think people try to make it that way and I think there's some things that can be precise and some things that can't. And that's kind of where we games and assessment, you know, are, are kind of a topic today. 
that, you know, I got an email from a PhD student out east, and we'll just, her name's Maria, and she has, um, she noticed that from the Minecraft Mind Chat, I guess she she watched that. She goes, I noticed that you said mine, uh, that in the Minecraft environment, I can use that as an assessment. And can I elaborate on that? And then how do I specifically use Minecraft as an assessment? And then, and that's so difficult. So we have some areas that we can make things precise. You know, whether it's in sports or games, you either complete the task or you don't. And grading, um, that's not, I think those outside of education try to figure out a way to make those precise. And I think that's nearly impossible. So in a world where we are trying to make, you know, golf is not a precise thing. Football, baseball, you know, the strike zone, those are imprecise things. They, we're trying to add technology to make those precise. And I think that's good in some respects. But then when you try to take and try to figure out what a student knows and have that in some type of test and then being able to say they're at this level, I think that is impossible. Oh, yeah. That is totally impossible. You're talking about the brain is the most complex computer in the world. This, this is all over assessment. This is uh, – and this just comes to mind because of all the Type 75, which is a, in Illinois a leadership and administration certificate. And uh, so much of what we're doing now is the Danielson evaluation system, which is something that was meant for teacher improvement, not right. not teacher evaluation. Huh. You know, but. but but it's being used for teacher evaluation, and it's being used down to the point where we're we're taking you know specific. They're trying to take the magic of being an administrator, and I say that, and it sounds like oh the magic of, but but that's what makes people good administrators or bad, which is kind of that sixth sense. Of, of being able to walk in and say, this is a good functioning classroom or this is not. And if you need a rubric to assess that, it's probably not, you know. But that's what we're moving to, Jerry, and that's that's the thing. When if some, I can look at my classroom. I can tell you which students are struggling right. and which students are doing if okay. you can't, you're a bad teacher. <laughs> yeah, but, but the, here's the other thing, too. I do need to take data. I do need to take data so I can get a better picture of what that student right. is. But my brain is the one, not a piece of paper and numbers that are popping up, uh, you know, in a rubric. It needs to be both. It, it to, has to be both. We're moving towards way too much emphasis on one side when right. for years we had emphasis 100 percent on the other side. So yep. it's kind of like we can see the pendulum swinging. I just wish we could slow the ball down before it gets right all the way to the and, other side. So on the uh, from teacher to student aspect, we have. I take all the data that's there. I take my observations, the formative assessments, um, any summative stuff. I, I, I put this all in, and my brain computes and comes out with a, a, an idea. And it's qualitative, not quantitative. It's not a number. It's it's, or, you know, and I've we've tried to simplify that too. Where it's, are they mastering? Mm -hmm. Are they strong? Are they satisfactory? Do they need improvement? Those are the four areas that I really look at. And what's amazing to me is that I can come up with one of those areas. And most of the time, when I ask my students where they fit, where where do you see, where are you at? Are you at a mastery? Are you strong? Are you satisfactory? Or do you need improvement? 
th normally they're right on the money or they're more they're harsher on themselves than I am. Mm -hmm. That to me is more realistic than let's take a map test, let's take this test, let's take that test and whatever that number is. Sometimes they match up with what I see. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they're they're higher, they have higher scores on those tests, which open up my mind to okay, now maybe I need to look at them in this way, but it's constantly gathering that information. Now, so, so I come up with an idea of where my students are at for each area, and I can break that down into the different standards. Mm -hmm. And that's fine. That, that works for me. Presenting that or putting that in a grade book is we try the best. Within your class, Jerry, within my classes, within your classes and such, we try that the best that we can mm -hmm. to give an idea where they're at. Now, from administrator to teacher, I guess the biggest problem that I have is that we spend so much time building relationships with our students, figuring out what they know, and coming up with that grade. That how in the world can an administrator, in a short period of time, without building a relationship, without... Now, I'm lucky because my administrator currently, and most of my administrators, have built up relationships to understand where I am at as a teacher. And they can come in and, like you said, visually see walk around in my classroom, see what's going on. They can get a good idea what's what's going on. But honestly, they really don't... I, I'd be hard-pressed to find an administrator that really knows where their teachers are at because they don't have enough time to spend in the classroom with the teachers, talking to the teachers. I'd agree. As much time as we spend with our students. I would agree. So if we don't, if we as teachers feel that we need more time with our students and coming up with a good grade, we'll just say, I'll put the air quotes around that, of where we feel they're at, how can an administrator do that? That's a good question. Accurately. Mm -hmm. They have a good idea, I hope. Sure. You know, but that's, yeah, it's amazing. And then having that, and then having the scores of our students uh, have a factor in how we are assessed as teachers and maybe even pay. Mm -hmm. And there's a whole host of problems here. Yeah. Whole. A lot of frustration so thing, in the field. I saw a Huffington Post article the other day on, you know, somebody uh, from a teacher that just yes, said, did you see thought, that? Yeah. Just yep. said, don't become teachers. <laughs> Go find something yeah. else to do, you know? Yeah. Because, uh, cause it's, it's a, it's an, it's an odd field right now. It is. It's very odd. And we are seeing those numbers drop. Illinois State University is considered the top education, teacher education school in, in the state. Um, I went to Eastern, so I, I think that's, to me, is, is just as good, if not better. Uh, <laughs> but a little biased, but it's it, their numbers are dropping. Yep. People that are entering into the field of education is dropping. And our state government has not helped out with that. No. Uh, it made it with how more they're difficult. Treating. Right. Mm -hmm. With how the money, the financing of schools, the financing of teachers, how benefits are being looked at. Yeah, the public opinion as well is being shaped yep. Uh, yep. You know, negatively against teachers. Yep. So we've seen some changes. I mean, we've seen some groundswells of of pushback, especially for assessments, and that's mm -hmm. that's good. We need to keep that we need to keep that going. Going back going back to assessment. Uh, found a video that's been around, I think, for a little bit from James Paul G. Two years, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, he's um, 
a foe, friend of Ed Gamer, <laughs> right? Uh, he has this wonderful video on assessment and games, and he goes into the, you know how he got into games and, and such. But he he mentions the example he gives is that if you play a if you play Halo on hard difficulty, mm-hmm. you play it all the way through and you complete it. Would you give that person a test over Halo? And that would be ridiculous because right. they've completed it. It's, and, it's, and worse is even though they had completed the whole game, if they didn't do well on the test, would you then label them as unsuccessful at Halo? <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. You, you have to take it that step further because we do that. Not yes. only do we give you the test, but if you don't do well on it, you know, which is only one way of proving that you've learned the knowledge. If you don't do well on right. it, we label you. You know, right. you you don't you fit into this category. This is you as a person. Right. And so he makes a comparison that you're taking um, you're taking class twelve weeks math class. You you get to the end of the class and you take an assessment. That's not strange to to say. That's not a strange thing to say. We need to look at those models that we that how games are used, and you play a Halo game, you finish it, the test, and what you know when you complete it, that's you're done. Mm-hmm. You've you've mastered it, you've finished it. Games have it figured out. We in the classroom don't. We teach all this stuff. The kids experience things, and we get to the end and. We feel that we need to assess. We need to change and model kind of the learning model that games have set up rather than the old model of education, and we need to give an assessment at the end. Yeah. That's why I'm sitting here contemplating, is a summative assessment even necessary? I, 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 you know what? I mean, this is the first year where I gave the summative assessment on the first day of class, um, the exact same summative assessment. Um, and... Uh, and I, I changed the order of questions in the end because, I mean, obviously, I'd, I don't think any kid was going to memorize the, you know, <laughs> the the order of numbers. But but some teachers criticized me when I had an open discussion with teachers. That it was like, why, why can you do that? How how can you just give them the test the first day? And I realized that along with what you're talking about, we kind of have this ego of like wanting to fool kids. Oh too, yeah, you know, and it's like. Well, I'm comfortable giving them the assessment because I'm being very clear that that's what I want them to learn. And during this year, that's what you're going to learn. And I'm confident that in the end, they're going to do better on the assessment than they did in the first day. Because if they don't, then what was the point? Of course, they're going to do better on it the second time. They they better. They should. <laughs> if they're <laughs> yeah. not, then what's happening in my classroom? Right. And, and how that assessments, what type of questions are on there and such – if it's just regurgitation of information, that's, you know, part of me doesn't like that. Part of me does. It's, But I'm, I'm guessing in, in what you do in the visual arts mm-hmm. that the creations and things that they do are showing that they understand it. Sure. You know, in in (laughs) summative assessments that that, um, do regurgitation of of facts, you know, games are are well ahead of us in this because think about it. That is, a a summative assessment is almost like a training level on a game. It's like, to kick, press B. And it's like, (laughs) now you press B. That's almost like a summative assessment. You know, it's like, memorize this date. 
repeat this date, you know, it, but it doesn't ask you to go any further than right. that on so many summative assessments, which is, which is a problem, you know. But there are so many different ways, especially in some games, there's so many different ways to complete and finish the game. And each person can have a different way of completing it just because one person used, um, you know, a mage rather than a paladin, mm -hmm. you know, and finished the game. They did it in different ways. And their setup of their keyboard is going to be different. Their understanding of certain items and, and storyline is going to be different based upon the character that they're playing. It's it, it's endless. And that's why assessments or games are are a million miles ahead of us. In right. Assessment as opposed because to we have the kids are the same way. Mm -hmm. I have mages. I have paladins. I have fighters. You know. I have sorcerers. I have all these different. Types of kids in my classroom, and they have different ways of completing those tasks. Assessing that is is quite difficult. So here's what I've done with my my Rome unit. They've done research. They've just gone out, found things that interest them. I've given given them some resources. I've been using Symbolu Edu, which Symbolu is like a bookmarking. Um, they're tiles. They look like apps. You just click on it, and opens up a you know the the bookmarks. I've been using that. Um, just to kind of share that out with everybody, they're really easy to use. So I put these all these links on Rome. I used Brain Pop. We used, um, you know, uh, Discovery Education, links to the textbook, games on the BBC, all these different things. The kids are going through it. They're they're gathering information. They took some notes. I had some general questions asked. One was, you know, how did Rome begin? How did it? Uh, how did it become so powerful? And then I had a second one that's similar, because you can have some answers go between the first two questions, is that um, the second one is, how did, how did Rome, why did Rome last so long? So you're going to have some similar answers between the two. But what I've done is that they start, they've started answering these questions, and then we've worked on answering them. And then I know some teachers that would just go ahead and say, okay, we've answered it. Now I'm going to give you a test tomorrow. And basically the kids will just memorize those answers, right? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then there's the test. Yeah. What I want to do is that I want them to present this information. I know I have some kids that will have difficulty in presenting in large groups. So I'm coming up with different ways of, so they might be able to present it to me in like a conference uh, situation. I want them to take those questions, answer them, but in a way, not just telling me the information, but they have to show deeper understanding. Hmm. Does that does that make sense? Yep. They they can re they could regurgitate the information, and that might be satisfactory depending on the student. It might be needs improvement, but they have to show a deeper understanding of of those answers, and I can ask well, them questions. You're showing a you're showing a shift, which is happening in games too, um, a shift of of knowledge which is accumulating knowledge since so much of it is available readily is no longer a beneficial well it's not not that it's not a beneficial skill but it's not as highly touted as um, the application of knowledge right being able to right. apply is now more important than right. being able able to accumulate right. mass amounts because all of this information we we used to need to accumulate is now available to us but application is you know, now becomes more important. So one of the answers to actually could be for both, how, you know, how did it, how did Rome become so powerful? 
which is part of the first question, and then how did it last so long? It, roads could be one of those answers. So a kid could write that down on a piece of paper and say roads, you know, are, are very important for this. But they're going to have to go deeper than that. They're going to have to explain how roads, it's applying it. How did roads help rum grow? How did it help it last so long? That that's the next that's the next level for me. So they could do now here they have a choice on how they present this information to me. I have some kids that are wanting to use Minecraft. We <laughs> I'm coming back to you, Maria. So we kind of went off off topic there, but how do I use it as assessment? Well, the kids could build uh, something within Minecraft to demonstrate one of these answers. Now, they can show it to me, but I would sit there and ask them questions. Well, you know, why did they build roads? What were their what was their purpose? Or the students will give that information to me. Mm-hmm. You know, they built aqueducts. You know, they, they, they could build that within Minecraft. Whatever they would build there can help them lead them to an answer and presenting that information to me. That is an assessment. You can build a lot of things in Minecraft, and if, if all I did as a teacher was look at those pictures or watch the video, that's not enough. That's not enough. I need to find out why did you build the aqueducts this way? Why did you build your town this way? You know, what was, why do you have the roads? Um, you know, why did you build the roads? What is their purpose? It goes deeper. Now, putting that in a rubric <laughs> is I try the best that I can. But that's very difficult to do. And then proving that and showing that to someone else is kind of difficult. And that's where what I love is that after we have this discussion, asking them, okay, how do you feel you did on this? I ask the students, you know, did you master this? Mm-hmm. Did you, were you, are you strong? Do you need improvement? You know, uh, where, where do you fit on the spectrum? And then if a student does, if they're at a needs improvement, I don't mind them going back and, and reworking something or doing something else. But I'm also giving them a choice on how they're presenting it. I've got some kids that want to write songs. I have some kids that, you know, do a song, a rap, uh, create a video. Uh, some of them want to do a PowerPoint, and that's fine. I've seen some really creative PowerPoints. Um, you know, it depends on what their interest is and how they want to present it to me. But I'm putting the ball in their court, which hopefully will be intrinsic to them, which they will want to do. I've just been blabbing on here, Jerry, but does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. That was a good And it's it's, it's good discussion it's learning. right there. Yeah, thanks. It, it's but I'm still learning. Mm-hmm. I'm still learning how I want to do this. Uh, it all it goes to Jane McGonagall too, where she said games have to be voluntary, right? Mm-hmm. So I do have with Minecraft and I have another kid that uses uh, Total War Rome, which I have no idea. I think he just wants to play it. Um, I have no idea how he would present information in there or show me something to, to answer one of these questions. But here's the thing. He might be able to do it. Just because I can't see it, just because I can't see how this student would do it, doesn't mean that it can't be done. Right. So, okay, go for it. If you fail on it, then we'll just come up with another way of you presenting this information. And maybe that failure will help you answer the question the overall question anyway. The game wasn't able to do this, and I wanted to, to show this. So it's open, and I think that's where it's scary for a lot of teachers, mm. that open-endedness. 
um, and being able to assess it, that it is scary because I don't know where it's going to lead me. And when I mess up, then we clear the slate and say, okay, let's try it this way. <laughs> and not a lot of teachers are comfortable or confident to do that. Agreed. Um, and it takes time. You know, this is my 17th year of teaching, so it's it's one of those things that's just it's taken time. And I'm hoping, do, do the kids understand more about Rome and its connections to the United States and, and why it was successful and why did it fail? Do they know more about that now than when they started? Yes. You know, to me, that's success. That's success right there. Man, I've been blabbing, Jerry. Oh, viewers. Yeah, listeners out there, hopefully that makes sense. And, and you know, if there's something wrong with my my ideas here, let me know because who knows? I'm, I'm in the zone, Jerry. I'm the, the rabid fan base will let you know, trust me. Yeah. Well, Neil like Nilo likes you better anyway, so it doesn't matter. He just I can't. I can never be good likes enough my for big Neil. Voice. My big <laughs> voice. Okay, last thing here, SimCity. Mm-hmm. Edu. I know we've mentioned it before. I get on the website, and it's like, oh, sign up for free. Well, it's not sign up for free to get the game. It's sign up just to be part of SimCity Edu. Mm-hmm. Um, there's multiple problems here with SimCity Edu. Uh, it's a $60 game. They're not giving an educator discounts. Uh, you have to use Origin, their platform, which is kind of like Steam, except it's all connected to EA games. Mm-hmm. The one time I used Origin, and I mentioned this in our uh, the wonderful conversation with Rob and, and um, Colin, is that it took forever to... I purchased a game, and it took 48 hours before I was able to actually get it. That's crazy. I, I don't understand. That makes no sense to me. You don't want that to Sch- Schools having access, giving access to students in order to have SimCity on a computer, SimCity on their computer, and a BYOD, I guess that'd be okay, uh, as long as they had access within the school to get to this. So they load Origin, then they download the game. So how do you purchase the game? Do the kids get it on their own? Do I write grants? Um, you know, civilization. I have to. I have to. I've paid for on my own. I've got eight licenses, and you know, it's it's not as expensive. This is a brand new game, of course. Uh, it's not as expensive. I can get. I think all of Civilization for between twenty and thirty dollars, which isn't bad. Yeah. Uh, Sixty dollars for this SimCity. Yeah. So we we got the price. Uh, there's no discounts. You have to use Origin. Um, purchasing, whether it's a digital copy or physical copies, it's there's some issues there. And then always having, you have to have an online connection. You always have to be connected to Origin hmm. to use this. And they've had server problems. They've had bugs and, and problems with it. I think overall the game is, you know, the reviews I've read have been pretty good. But, and then it's a newer game. I don't know how many computers I have in my building that would actually be able to run this. Yeah, yeah. So they're releasing it for Mac uh, in June. So I think that for some people that's going to be a positive. Yeah, sure. Uh, so, I don't know, anybody with experience out there with SimCity EDU and and wanting me to put put me in my place, like it's the best thing since, you know, sliced bread, mm, great. Sliced Let bread. me know. Warm sliced bread. Warm sliced bread. Um, okay. Oh, I just got an email from Maria. 
said she's not doing the project until fall. Did it say anything about the West Side Story? Oh, simmer down, Jerry. That's not very Maria, nice. Maria, Maria. Okay, no, it says nothing about West Side Story. Nothing about West Side Story. Wow. It's a good song. Wow. You and Justin Timberlake. That is right not there. Justin Timberlake. No. He, he's a pretty good singer, you know? Yeah. And he's quite funny. He is very funny. I'll give him that. He's a he's a I, hard guy to hate. He's very talented. He, he is. I mean, from uh, Social Network yeah. to... Uh, Did very well uh, on Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live, the, the Ville uh, songs. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, he dresses I was, up. You yeah. bring up one of my he has multiple types. But, uh, it's what? not appropriate for the air. No, okay. This is a family show, Jerry. Anything else? I think that's it. Man, we I've bantered on for we're at forty four minutes, but I don't think it's gonna be that long. I'll make sure I cut out my it'll probably go down to ten minutes after I edit. <laughs> okay, thank you for listening to this week's Ed Gamer Podcast. Please follow us on edreach.us and follow all the great podcasts and blog posts on the Edreach Network. Have a great week. This day in nineteen ninety seven, Tiger Woods was how old? Youngest player ever to win a Masters. 23? Nope. 22? Nope. 21? 21. How many shots did he win by Mr. Golf? Uh, his first one? Mm-hmm. Couple? Or is that the one he blew out everybody? 12. He won by 12? Yeah, he, he there was one early on that he blew everybody out. Yeah. I, like I said, used to be a Tiger fan. Not so much anymore. Do th- I don't want him breaking Jack Nicklaus's records. Do you think they brought the clock to him? said mr woods you're not going fast enough no he, he's not the one that no, no, he's no, not the one no, that got the no, speed know, of play no, it's a 14 year old yeah, yeah, kid yeah picking out a 14 year old he's slow get him going he's youthful he should be able to walk fast get going there little kid he's you know you play well but move along these guys play slow enough as it is Stop for him recording. to go slower That's it. Stop hello. The recording before we hello. lose any more fans hello. that kid's never gonna listen again yeah whatever we're okay uh John Hunter's joining us in a couple weeks. I thought you meant right now. I was like, cool. Uh, John Hunter's joining us on the 27th, just to let everybody know. Nice. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll stop recording. And now. bye.